the psychologist. Hello. Hi. How's it? How are you doing? Welcome to the psychologist. This is Leah. I've got for you today the recording of my talk at Oregon Eclipse Festival in August at the Village Witches. Thank you to Sarah Wu and all the people that made that stage the awesome and informative healing learning place that it was. My talk is called A New Psychedelic Renaissance, Shifting Perspectives from Drugs to Medicines. I hope that you learn some new information or brush up on something that you've heard about before. And I'll be glad to know any comments or questions that you have. You can find me at facebook.com slash thepsychedologist. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Here it is, A New Psychedelic Renaissance. Oh, can you hear me now? Is that better? Okay. <laughs> Hi, I'm Rudy. Um, welcome to Village Witches. I am introducing Leah. Got it. Got it right this time. <laughs> and um, she is a professor, a clinician, and a writer. And she is going to be explaining a new psychedelic renaissance. So let's give her a warm applause. Thank you, Rudy. Thanks, guys. Thanks for coming. Did you all bring your psychedelics? It is nice to speak in front of like-minded people, I must say. A lot of the time I feel like I have to defend or protect myself when I'm talking about this sort of phenomena with other people. So to be seen and feel heard right here is like really nice. So thank you for that. <clears throat> uh, let's start by just dropping into the space, waking up our gentle angel selves. And um, I'm going to actually lead us through a little meditation or a little opening that my permaculture teacher Starhawk would use at the beginning of each day that we would do work. So why don't you find a comfortable seat? Maybe just come into your body a little bit, feel the spine stack, you can lie down if that's more comfortable. And maybe gently blinking the eyes shut if that feels okay. Let your hands rest wherever they want to rest. Just let everything land. So let's start by scanning the body. Noticing any places where things feel good, where might there be some tension, something to let go. Just tapping into that. And now we're going to take a series of breaths together, three deep breaths. And on each exhale, I want you to focus on channeling out anything that doesn't serve you right now. And on each inhale, bringing in something that you might need. So let's take an inhale together. Hold it at the top and exhale. Yeah, it's okay to be heard. Let's take another one. And let it go. Let this be your deepest breath today. Inhale. I didn't say anything. Okay, now exhale. <laughs> Very good. The next thing that we would do is we would ground and center. And so Starhawk is a witch, and there was a lot of witchy phenomena. And it's, it's okay to keep your eyes closed now if you want, or you can open them. But I want you to ground yourself and maybe imagining roots coming out of the bottom of your feet and out of your legs and like going deep into the earth. Focus on that earth connection, okay, rooting down. And then center. What does it feel like to come into your center right now? So while the energy is channeling down and rooting down, we're also shining the energy up out the top of our head. 
So see if you can feel that connection, the cosmos to deep into the earth. See if you can feel that energy loop. And then the last thing we would do is call in the elements. So I'll just say a brief thing about each. Um, but first I welcome fire to join us. The fire of the hot, big summit prairie with all its dust and the fire of our metabolism and the heat we work up dancing on the dance floor. Welcome fire. I'll call in water next. The water that nourishes and quenches our thirst and the beautiful lake and the delicious libations from all the superfood uh, providers here. Welcome water. Uh, let's welcome air. The air, those big dust cyclones. I saw one lift a porta potty up actually. I want to welcome the air that blew that porta potty up into the air. It's unbelievable. Welcome air. And then lastly, uh, we'll welcome earth. Earth is what you're made of. You're made of every element, but earth is the easiest one to understand. So welcome all the molecules that compose your being. Welcome earth. And spirit is the fifth element. So welcome spirit. And I invite you to welcome spirit in whatever way that resonates for you. All right. So we're going to play a little word association game now. You're free to keep your eyes closed or you can open them. I just want you to like Rorschach style, like I'm going to say a word and just the first thing that comes to your mind, just focus on that. Whatever word or sound or picture or what, anything. Do I sound okay? Okay. All right, ready? So I'm going to say a word. Just see what comes up. Okay. Village. Oh, you, yeah, yeah, you can say them out. Say them out. I like that. If you want to share yours, say it out. Family. Okay. Dust. We should just do this whole time. Dust village. We're going to clip. Okay. Witch. Spell. Medicine's the next one. Medicine. Drug. Yes. <laughs> Healing. All right. Well, I started in with that because this talk is called A New Psychedelic Renaissance, Shifting Perspectives from Drugs to Medicines. And I proposed this months ago, and the meaning that it would take on has changed constantly. So I'm really happy at where it's landing today as I give this talk. Um, but the thing is, what is a drug? What is a medicine? And as the community shifts perspectives to consider psychedelics in a new framework as like something beyond whatever reefer madness or the 1970s propaganda taught people that psychedelics were, what kind of challenges come up and how do we reframe the definitions of words that we use? At the talks I've gone to, I really enjoyed when the speakers shared about themselves. So I thought I would start by telling you how I got to this point. Because if you're interested in working in psychedelics, I can tell you, I had no idea how to get to the, this place. I just kept picking up on opportunities. So I figure I'll share like kind of what the path looked like. And then we'll go into the content, just ask a few questions, uh, talk about some of the current research, and then plenty of time for Q&A at the end. Does that sound good? Okay. All right, cool. 
Um, so I got my master's in clinical psychology. I, I was really eager to have a really great thesis and 4.0. I did all those things and it just felt empty. Like I never had an area I wanted to research. And then I got dumped and I got fired. <laughs> and um, I was like, no, it's fine. I'm fine. And uh, then I decided I would go to Costa Rica for a couple months. And this person who had dumped me was really into psychedelics. And I thought, he's going to think it's super badass if I go do ayahuasca. <laughs> he's going to regret dumping me. <laughs> I'm sure ayahuasca was like... <laughs> <laughs> so I went down to Costa Rica with my childhood best friend and we, we drank ayahuasca. I told that psychedelic story at the symposia storytelling yesterday. Did anyone go to the psychedelic storytelling? Raise your hand if you went. Oh, just a few. That was a good, that was a good one. It's always weird. It's always funny, scary. So um, I drank ayahuasca. I had started teaching college courses as a psychology professor at LaSalle College in Boston area and Bunker Hill Community College. I still teach there. And um, I got home from Costa Rica, had done all this medicine work, was really confused. It was like March. I live in Lowell, Massachusetts. It's mud and rain and snow, brown snow at that point. Uh, so I was really depressed. And then I wrote in my notebook one day, water your plants. And it's like in Costa Rica, all these seeds were planted. And I realized like, how can I keep nourishing these seeds with like the same water and light that they had in Costa Rica, but now I'm back in like dreary mass. So I went to a conference about psychedelics just randomly and it was my first time couch surfing. I did all these things and um, I realized that I could legitimately use the credentials I had as a master's level clinician and I could but study psychedelics. There were lots of people doing that. <sighs> Would you look at that? Just look. Um, I started going to music festivals and working in like the chill down spaces on the East Coast Zendo doesn't come out Zendo is welcome to any of the East Coast festivals, but they're smaller So I was like kind of doing that I was sitting with people who were having difficult psychedelic or other substance experiences and You know realizing that um, I could use my psychology skills in this setting, but also like some of my ayahuasca learnings, too um, <clears throat> The next note is three-night ceremony exorcism in Maryland so I then had some ayahuasca in the U.S. and it was like, it was Shipibo style and the shaman sang directly to me. She like came and sat and actually she had me come up to her. I came up to her and I sat in front of her. She played the rattle thing around my head. Who's had the rattle thing played around their head before? <sighs> okay, I suggest if you get the chance to have the rattle thing played around your head, you do it because... I felt like demons being exercised out of my body. Like I felt, you know when a cocoon, when the animal inside the cocoon dies and the cocoon's like hollow, but you shake it and it's got this hard thing in it. That's what my body felt like. And it felt like each time this hard thing hit the outer wall, dust was like puffing off. It was crazy. And so I've always questioned, is ayahuasca just a combination of substances that has a neurochemical reaction? And or, you know, or is there spirit there? It's always the question. That was one of the times that showed me, oh yeah, there's spirit there for sure. Um, fast forward, I was out for a run one day uh, near my lady's place and I was listening to Nako and Medicine for the People. And, uh, and he said, chain me to the pipeline for our rivers and mountains. You know that one? Wash it away? Yeah. He played it in Visions here. Oh no, a Lightning in a Bottle. 
So I had some friends organizing climate action and they were having people get arrested. And they're like my good friends. They still hadn't asked me to get arrested. And I was kind of like, maybe I won't have to get arrested. And uh, then when I heard that, I had been thinking, should I, should I do this? Um, what about like being a therapist? I'm like a tutor, I'm a teacher, all these things, you know? I don't want to be profiled for having an arrest on my record. It's a privilege to like be able to choose that kind of thing. So um, as I was thinking about what to do, that line came on, chained me to the pipeline. I'm like, fuck, okay. So like two weeks later, I'm like sitting in this ditch getting arrested in West Roxbury. So that was a, a big part of my journey as well, was getting into the climate activism. I went to Horizons Conference in New York City. So as you can see, I'm just doing regular things that you can all do. It's like nothing special going on. Um, I started a community group called Boston Entheogenic Network, which is a meetup for people who alter their consciousness in, um, in the manner to expand their awareness or to, to work on themselves. And it's like support, and it's not for people to find connections or anything. I mean, it happens. But like, I don't condone or facilitate the use of illegal substances. And so it's, <clears throat> it's been a journey. I started doing a podcast recently and I applied to give some talks and I wrote some articles for Symposia and, and that was just it. That's literally what I've done. And I've read just about everything there is to read and I talk about psychedelics like every day. Uh, even, well, so here's, here's where the PowerPoint starts. So I was at my friend's cannabis farm waiting to come to Eclipse, beautiful farm. There was so much to learn there. But instead I hunched over my computer and worked on my PowerPoint for this talk like for like two days. And the, but there's no projectors, <laughs> which is totally fine. Um, <laughs> it's really fine, yeah. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm gonna, when I, there's a picture, yeah. Um, but, oh, so why, did, why was I telling you that? Ah, uh, yes, so this picture that you would see, I guess I could turn it around now, is of me at San Francisco airport when I had just landed, and there's this bus, and it says SFO, it celebrates 50 years of the summer of love. And I'm like, cool, like that's like my, those are my elders, like the women that took LSD in the 60s and like went into nature and like had their babies by themselves. Like, oh, I love the summer of love. And I went to the exhibit. Did anyone go see the exhibit in SF? Cool, of course, got to see it, Felix. Um, it was really neat, really neat. Anyhow, so I'm like, I'll get a picture in front of this bus. So I like find the first person that's not, you know, doing the airport things. I'm like, excuse me, will you please take my picture in front of this bus? I was so cute, I had this hula hoop with me, which they didn't let me on my flight because I argued and I was like, this is not a carry-on, this is just a hula hoop. And it made them so mad that they were like, you can take the next flight. And they literally put me on the next flight. Rudy, Rudy, the mic died. It died. That's okay. So the guy goes, why do you want a picture with that? And I said, I'm because I am going to give talks about how psychedelics are beneficial medicines, and this is my work. And he goes, well, I don't really approve of psychedelics. And I was like, what? Ever? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> test, test one, two. Okay. Slice, maybe. Um, but then the next girl that came, she took my picture, and it was all fun. Test one, two. Testing the mic. Test, test it. La, 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 so, shifting perspectives from drugs to medicines, right? Couldn't that guy use a little perspective shift, am I right? Um, Psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy can help with some things. 
Psychedelics can be allies. Currently, they're being investigated in clinical trials. That's what I want to tell you about. Um, in part to address treatment-resistant anxiety. That means the person's tried probably all the meds available and they've done different therapies and they've gone on Vipassana and, and it's just not, they're still anxious. Or depression or addiction. Also trauma and PTSD. Psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy can help with recall of salient memories and reversal of cognitive biases by allowing us to rewrite the way that memories are wired into our brain and where they live. Psychedelics can help with social anxiety and psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy <clears throat> can actually reduce recidivism, which is people getting out of prison and then getting incarcerated again. And it can foster pro-social behavior following incarceration periods for people. So the questions I want to answer to you are, has this been done before? How do psychedelics work therapeutically? What research is going on right now? What are the risks or concerns? And what's next? That's the flow. So has this been done before? Yes, it has. Um, psychedelics are actually different mm, practices of altering the consciousness, whether with substance, plants, roots, bushes, um, breathwork. This is, exists in just about every lineage. So you can guarantee that whatever continent your ancestors came from, there was probably some sort of visionary work going on at some point. And then, as I mentioned, the Summer of Love, like 50 years ago, it was the first psychedelic renaissance, and it was brutish. I mean the masses were not ready to be pumped out these kilos of really strong LSD. And it, although it had a profound effect on the revolution of feminism and anti-war and uh, queer liberation, etc., still there was some blowback. And Timothy Leary was a part of that. Even though I took the which psychedelic pioneer are you quiz and it said I was Timothy Leary. And that makes sense. So it has been done before, but it's being done differently now. And it's because we've taken it into the Western medical model how do these work therapeutically when we're giving psychedelics to people in like a therapy room or a lab? <clears throat> well, I'll turn this around for you. Basically, we have this thing in our brain called the default mode network. And that's like what allows you to function on autopilot and to just get your shit done without concentrating really hard on it. So here there's an image of like the, connect the connectivity in the brain on like a regular waking state, like consensus reality. And then on the right is what the brain looks like on psilocybin. So you can see there's a lot more connections. There's connections in different places. There's just more activity. So when the default mode network goes offline, we're like have accessible to us new ways of thinking and seeing things, new ways of perceiving. And that's why like, the simplest thing, like the palm of your hand, can like mesmerize you for a long time. There's also action on the 5-HT2A serotonin receptor, which is a receptor in your brain most directly related to depression and mood and like maintaining a positive or open state. So in addition to like changing perception that can have an effect on depression, um, this stimulation of the, or this like attachment to the 5-HT2A receptor can be beneficial for like leveling things out and like getting the serotonergic system to work in a more regular way for the person. Also, when that gets stimulated, there's this thing called brain-derived neurotropic factor, which is basically like 
superfood chemicals in your brain. Like they're what allow new connections to be formed and new pathways to be created. So when you have more of BDNF, it's better. So that's how it works on the neurological level. On the psychological and the social level, psychedelics increase empathy. They reduce fear and blockages that might keep us back from like seeing things with openness and curiosity. Um, psychedelics may be providing a more objective look for a person, have an objective look at things, and can even increase a global consciousness or allow people to see their a role in the whole, in the whole thing. So let's talk about the research going on right now. <clears throat> um, some basics of psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy is that preparation is really important. So in the different studies, there's different ways that the patients or the clients get prepared. Um, one of those might be equipping them with words for altered states, like transcendent or ethereal or um, just all these sort of shimmery words that maybe might not be in that person's vocabulary, but it's <clears throat> giving them the language to talk about what they might experience. And then there's intention. Intention is what, what you're doing this for. And um, I believe that intention is a positive thing for uh, any sort of undertaking. It doesn't have to be a psychedelic journey. It can be a date or an intention for a work meeting or um, for a yoga practice. So intention setting is a big part of it. What are we trying to do work on? And then set and setting are next, and we're all familiar with those probably by this point. Set is like where you're at, what's going on in your life. Did you recently experience something that's like a little bit um, upsetting? Or uh, are you in a really good place? And setting is where you are. Who is with you? What's the sound like? Are you comfortable? Are you healthy? Yeah, what, what might come up? <laughs> like... It looks like another planet out there at night, you guys. It looks like all the, I like closed my eyes at night and I still saw all this flow toys like going around everywhere. So what's the setting? In psychedelic assisted psychotherapy, it's usually a therapy room or a hospital. And then integration, integration is the last part. And that's about weaving in what was experienced, what sort of new thoughts were catalyzed. How does that transfer into our daily life or translate to what we're doing, what we're working on? So with MDMA, MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, they've gotten to phase three, and that's the final phase of clinical trials. So that means that in phase one, they gave MDMA to people, they established that all those people were okay, there was no risk to any of them, and people got better. So it's like, okay, you can take it in another step. You can test more people, and you can do it more in the way that you want to. So they got more specific. Now they're giving one group point. 07 milligrams to start and the other group 0.1 uh, and then like a an optional booster and then they also started in phase two welcoming in like non-veteran clients so sorry I didn't mention this is MDMA for PTSD post-traumatic stress disorder which is a condition in the brain when a serious usually life-threatening or similar experience is observed there's like the amygdala like put your hand on your head right here you gotta <laughs> there's an amygdala there and that's your fear center. So when something just like jolts you and you're like, your adrenaline rushes, that's like the amygdala is like, hey, bing, 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 it's going on. So in trauma, we store the memory directly in the amygdala. So people, that's one component of PTSD, the fear circuit. So in phase two, they started welcoming in like firemen and nurses and, and other folks who had been in traumatic situations, not just veterans. Um, these are some of the reports from people who concluded the therapy. Improvement in general well-being, 
less avoidance of people or places, because PTSD has three components, avoidance, arousal, and re-experiencing. So avoidance is like, it could be drinking a lot of alcohol or taking a lot of substances to not feel the feelings, or it could be avoidance by like isolating in one's home or, you know, disconnecting from the family or something. Uh, arousal is like a, a hypervigilant state that comes on and is not wanted. And uh, re-experiencing is like flashbacks or nightmares or like intrusive thoughts that repeat over and over of the trauma. So um, the MDMA therapy helped with the avoidance aspect of that. Uh, less excessive vigilance, that's the arousal aspect, also helped. Increased self-awareness and understanding. Improved relationships, eating, sleeping, mood, community involvement, empathy, and work performance. So these people experienced a pretty holistic improvement in their quality of life. And now MAPS is even doing a study where, because the person's romantic partner is so important usually in their healing, MAPS is doing MDMA therapy with the PTSD um, person and their spouse or their partner. That's pretty cool. MAPS. Rick, jo Rick Joblin is Jesus of our time, our psychedelic time. Rick Joblin's the founder of MAPS. Um, there's also a study with, with MDMA for social anxiety in autistic adults, and that's really cool. That's um, Gr um, Charlie Grob and Alicia Danforth out on the West Coast. And then there's uh, MDMA for anxiety associated with life-threatening illness. And did anyone read the book Changing Our Minds by Don Latin? It just came out. It's basically, it's kind of like a gossipy psychedelic history where it talks about some of the conflict between the groups in the psychedelic renaissance. Um, so... There wasn't a chapter in that that mentioned that psilocybin mushrooms are a much better medicine for anxiety about life-threatening illness than MDMA is because of how MDMA does change the vital signs in a bit more of an intense way than psilocybin. So there's, there's a bit of like conversation about that. But let's talk about psilocybin. Um, psilocybin's being given to folks who have terminal illness and are anxious about it and are experiencing a reduced quality of life due to knowing about that diagnosis. That's on phase two. Um, these studies can go faster if people donate money. None of them are being funded by pharmaceutical companies. Pharmaceutical companies don't want anything to do with psychedelics. It's going to put them out of business. So if you want to put pharmaceutical companies out of business, donate a little bit to psychedelic therapy. Why not? Um, psilocybin's also been used for tobacco smoking cessation. <clears throat> it's so interesting. It's like, I, I feel like all the times that a drug is discovered to help people quit smoking, it's like an accident. Like Wellbutrin, this pharmaceutical, people that were depressed who also smoked would like start taking Wellbutrin. They'd be like, yeah, like I'm feeling better and it's weird. I don't want to smoke anymore. It's really weird. And <laughs> look at that. The, um, but Psilocybin's another thing like that. People don't know why, but they don't want to smoke butts anymore after having it. So cool. So that's in a pilot study. Um, also, alcohol abuse and addiction. Psilocybin mushrooms are used for that. And um, in healthy subjects for mystical experiences. So work in like, um, do psilocybin mushrooms catalyze mystical states? Yes. Okay. Uh, now ayahuasca. We'll talk about ayahuasca next. <clears throat> Ayahuasca, I've heard, come up a lot in a lot of talks at this festival. Um, so there are some biological effects on ayahuasca. I actually feel kind of like going past that, if that's okay. You can do your own research on it, or we can talk about it later. Happy to do so. Um, 
the cognitive effects, though, are something called decentering, which is recognizing that your thoughts and feelings are separate from yourself. You are not your thoughts. You are not your feelings. You are the vessel that experiences and processes these things and relates to others who have those same experiences. But it's like the detachment from those things being you. Okay. So cultivate the observer. It's like one of my favorite things anyone ever said to me. Ayahuasca helps you cultivate the observer, meaning draw up an ability to see what's going on and to act rather than react. So often we're just reacting to, and that's why travel, travel has helped me tremendously to figure out like what is me and what is my environment like making me do something. So ayahuasca is being investigated for depression for addiction and dependence in a rural Aboriginal population in Canada. And it's being investigated as a treatment for alcohol and substance addiction, depression, anxiety, and PTSD in another study. There's also online surveys. The thing with ayahuasca is it's not like in MDMA, you like sit down with the person, the person has two therapists, male, female team, that's how it is so far. Believe me, it's not gonna be like that forever because everyone's already like calling into question, like does that make sense to have it be that way every time? Um, but you can't like have an ayahuasca ceremony in like Johns Hopkins like hospital, right? <laughs> and like even so, they like, they neuroimage ayahuasca and they'll give ayahuasca to like an experienced drinker and they sit in the MRI, but the person's not in ceremony. And as you know, the the binaural beats and the processing of everything is a, a big part of the ayahuasca experience and and the integration of of all that together. Not to mention the spiritual aspect is different. So ayahuasca research is a little funny. Um, and then Jessica, oh, Jessica Nielsen, are you here? Dang, she's cool. She, she gave a talk here, she has pink hair. And uh, she and Julie Megler proposed that ayahuasca could be used for PTSD as well, as kind of like an exposure therapy. Do you guys know what exposure therapy is? It's like when there's a fear or an obsession, and so the therapy is like, putting the person in the where they want to react to that thing and they want to do the do the compulsion or um or they get really upset and it's like just like keeping them there and like no you're okay say a mantra or ground yourself and like progressively making it worse so i've worked i didn't mention this i worked as an in-home therapist for the last three years and i worked with this client with ocd and he was really into um role player games and so what we did is we were like, okay, OCD is your enemy. And to go into battle and fight, you need to get your tools. It's like, what are your tools? And, and so it's like, my tool is my mantra. I'm okay, everything's okay. He, he had a big fear about germs. Um, what about like a body scan? So it's like just all that equipment. <clears throat> so ayahuasca is being proposed by these two women as um, kind of like a uh, exposure therapy for uh, difficult emotions. Ketamine, LSD, and Ibogaine are also being investigated. In the interest of having time for questions, I'll let you look into those or ask me about them later, but ketamine for treatment-resistant major depression, it's like off-label prescribed, so if someone's got major depression, their doctor, some of them, can prescribe them intranasal ketamine or intravenous if they're gonna administer it, and it's like called off-label, so it's not being used for the thing that ketamine's intended for, which is a horse tranquilizer. But um, as the leader of Boston Entheogenic Network, I've had a number of people write into me saying, I was given intranasal ketamine and I haven't been depressed since and I work with it once every six months. It's pretty cool. T two different people have, have written to me about that and I've read about other testaments online. Um, LSD, 
microdosing, um, creativity. It was neuroimaged in the UK, and that was uh, some science magazine said it was the most important scientific work that was done this year was neuroimaging the brain on LSD. And then ibogaine is probably the best um, is probably the best intervention for like opioid addiction that's out there right now, because it literally the person you know, who would go into withdrawal and who would experience this week-long hell. Um, I mean, not that Ibogaine's like a breeze, but um, after the 36-hour experience with this route, the person doesn't have any withdrawal symptoms at all. And, um, yeah, they usually make it to the other side, and they're a lot better. It takes a lot of integration, but Ibogaine's truly amazing. I recommend you look into it. So the next question is, what are the risks and concerns? There are psychological risks to working with psychedelics. God bless. Goddess bless. Um, one being, um, so have you heard that it can like uh, catalyze a psychotic episode? You may have heard this before. So there's actually a research paper that says nothing backs up that evidence. All the same, um, cannabis does increase the onset of schizophrenia by 1.4 to 1.9 times in 8 to 14% of cases. So there's some like correlation, like a, a modest correlation of cannabis catalyzing psychotic episodes with folks who are like not sure they have schizophrenia yet, and that's like how they find out. But um, the psychedelics should be taken with caution if you know you have a psychotic disorder or there may be some something going on with that. And then also a scary experience can be problematic if not integrated well. Um, there are some physical concerns like um, <clears throat> MAOIs, that like monoamine oxidase inhibitors, they stop something from being metabolized. So if you ho so happen to take an MAOI and then you take something like MDMA, your brain can't metabolize it and you end up with too much serotonin. And that's uh, crazy making, bad news bears. So call it what you will. It, it's not good. Um, then there's another risk of the potential for abuse, and actually all of the psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy studies, none of them have had any evidence that anybody was fiending for sitting down and talking about their trauma with Molly over and over again after. I can't believe it. That was like, I always talk about my mom and these things. I'm like, I wonder if she'll ever listen to them and be like, why do you talk shit about me? But um, my mom's like, so you're going to the Eclipse Festival. Are you going to take, she goes, did you shave the rest of your hair yet? I'm like, no. So are you going to take any medicines at the festival? I'm like, no, mom. I'm just going to go to the talks. It's true. I did just go to the talks. Um, but the potential for abuse risk is like really scary to some people. So as ambassadors to the psychedelic renaissance, I encourage you to hear people's fears about that others will get addicted to psychedelics, hear their fears, and then... When they've said their piece, you can say, well, actually, like, none of the studies have indicated that. In fact, most people that have a psychedelic experience are, like, less likely to be addicted to problematic things afterward because of what, what happens in the process. And then dose is another concern. And then I also listed some spiritual concerns, like the medicalizing or commoditizing of sacred medicines that may be from other cultures that, we, that you may not understand or fully be able to respect by not knowing about them. Um, additionally, if you think about like tobacco, tobacco is one of the oldest sacred herbs. It really is an amazing plant. Um, <clears throat> and when used in a sacred ceremonial way, tobacco is probably not going to hurt you. Um, but look at the way that people um, 
avoid difficult feelings and avoid boredom, et cetera, by smoking cigarettes and the, the you know, polluting with the cigarette butts and the monocrops of tobacco and the pesticides, all the same. I think someone told me 53 different like inorganic compounds in American spirits. Sorry to say. And American spirits are owned by like not a good company either. It's a bummer. You should try to find someone that can grow organic tobacco for you. And you should work with it and develop a relationship with that plant. See what it can teach you. So as we commoditize these herbs, what's going to happen when we use them? Like cannabis too. Like people with machine guns guarding the cannabis and spraying pesticides on them and stuff. Like what, what, inter what interaction might that have with your healing when you smoke that cannabis? So considering these things, um, I personally worry about that a little. Someone put this idea in my head. What if the government's like, oh, MDMA is this great treatment for PTSD. So the veterans come home, they have PTSD. Well, you had your MDMA therapy, so you're going to go back now. So hopefully, you know, holding out for this kind of things not to happen. <laughs> the next slide is potential risks. And <laughs> it's a person falling and it says caution tripping hazards. And then there's a picture of um, our attorney general saying good people don't smoke marijuana. And there's a picture of our president. So these are some other concerns. <laughs> you should pray for them. Put them on your altar. That's what Duncan Trussell, my good friend Duncan Trussell says. Put a picture of them on your altar. But yeah, that's a concern. Um, I think the psychedelic community is more worried about that than anything else right now, I might say. So what's next? Um, Research is going to continue. It really depends on the funds from the crowds that support. And um, I have a list of ways to assist people who journey. I'm happy to talk about those afterward. Suffice to say, it's about accepting and validating their experience, hearing it out, um, not trying to guide or uh, therap you know, therapist to them, but being open to like helping them find meaning in what they experienced. Um, it's also good if someone I know that when I began my psychedelic journey, I was actually really ashamed because almost no one in my life took psychedelics. And I was preparing to go down to drink ayahuasca, as you know why I was doing that. Um, so one friend gave me a tab of acid and said, you should take this before you do ayahuasca because you've never done psychedelics. And I was like, okay. So um, that, that's, that, it was like a ceremony and that experience was radical for me. I still learn from it today. Um, at any rate, I was really ashamed for like three days after. I didn't feel I had anyone I could talk to about this acid experience. And um, Emily, should I just tell the... <laughs> I was going to tell this story. It's psychedelic storytelling. No, I'll tell it another time. It's just, it has to do with period. <laughs> Now's the time. All right, I'll make it quick. So I cried for like three days after doing acid. Like, 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 I'm gonna try not to say like again. I cried for three days and was ashamed. And uh, then I got my period. I, mean, I had been using a diva cup for a couple months. This is this thing that will catch your um, moon blood inside you and then you just like take it out. And I would like take it out, like dump it in the toilet and bye-bye, wash it out, done. So, but the acid had like done something where I was looking at things in this new way, looking at everything in a new way. So what do you think I did with that diva cup? <laughs> so bad. No, I didn't drink it. Um, 
But I did water it down and feed it to my plants. Just a thought I had. And uh, it was crazy. Uh, make no mistake, if you ever come to my house, and if you're ever in Massachusetts, you can come to my house. I'll be happy to have you over. And you can see my moon fern, because all the leaves on the bottom are green with like white, with white um, veins. And then after I started giving it the moon blood, they came out red, you guys. Rosy red leaves. This plant has all red leaves on the top and then all white on the bottom. It's so beautiful. And it's a reminder of my journey, how I came from one to the other. So, so supporting people who journey is really important. And, and also like not judging the... Um, medicine that that person uses or you know it, talking about safety is great like you should you should do that um, however like uh, as my good friend Duncan Trussell also says do you want to have a medicinal orgasm like how bad does that sound so it doesn't always have to be medicinal your healing can come in the recreation and in the play and in the exploration it absolutely can I want you to download my podcast because I want to be a female voice. I am a female voice in psychedelics. There are a lot of male voices, and it's a very white movement, too. And I do come from, I, I enjoy many privileges. Um, however, I'd like to be a culturally informed and social justice uh, empowered uh, voice in this movement. And I like all of your input and feedback. So. On the show, we'll talk about um, psychedelics and psychology, and uh, sexuality is really interesting, too. I think sexuality and psychedelics have a lot to do with each other. Also, activism, permaculture. The psychedologist. It's like psychedelic psychologist. The psychedologist. Woo! Woo! So, uh, we have 16 minutes for discussion and questions. What happens when you mix SSRIs with LSD? Okay. This person is asking about mixing SSRIs with LSD. Um, I've heard that, that the person might not experience such a strong LSD effect if they're on SSRIs. They might need to take more to reach the same effect that a person not on SSRIs would reach. Um, beyond that, I would um, direct you to Arrowhead. And Arrowhead... Oh, they're sticking around my laptop. The Arrowheads were here, I think. They couldn't come. Wow. They are awesome. So yeah, Arrowhead. Yeah. The Arrowheads, um, it's Fire and Earth, they're a couple, and they have this huge database of drug-related stories and information. So if you've ever gone to Google and typed, how much Molly should I take? It probably put you to Arrowhead. <laughs> and like when I first met the Arrowheads, I saw someone go up to them crying and saying, You've saved my life. Your website has saved my life. And they're, they're really awesome. She developed the database when she was in school for computer programming, and she had been doing a database of her friend's books, and then she decided everyone was taking drugs. It would be funner to catalyze their experiences, so that was how everyone was formed. Uh, do you know much about Iboga? Uh, this person's asking if I know much about Iboga. I wouldn't say much, no. Um, if you have a more specific question. Well, just Okay. 
Yeah, Iboga is a shrub that grows in Africa used by the Buiti tribe in a medicinal way. Um, the bark is ground up into a fine powder and taken as a capsule. You are then catapulted into 36 hours of death and meeting your ancestors and talking to uh, whatever comes. Um, and there is a risk for heart and other vital signs to spike. So Iboga is it's more dangerous in some ways than ayahuasca. And, you know, from what I've read, I wouldn't agree 10 times stronger than ayahuasca. Because I've heard people can be in the Iboga experience and get up and go to the bathroom. And it's almost like pause. They say it's pause. And they can go to the bathroom and then they come back and they're back in it. So, yeah. Yes. Hmm, that's a great question. This person's asking about um, the sustainability aspect of harvesting psychedelics or other plant medicines. Um, and it's a really important thing to consider. So Symposia Magazine, highly recommend checking them out. They talk about anything related to culture and policy and drugs, basically. There's this article that was just written about how you should find psychedelics that grow native to your region. And that should be your first line of, of search. Um, it's true that there is destruction, environmental destruction going on seeking psychedelics and also cruelty to animals potentially for the um, psychedelic substances that are derived from animals, as well as just the cruelty of deforesting a place, you know, so you can grow ayahuasca vines and all of the, you know, biosystems that are destroyed from that. Um, I can't see you anymore, you who asked the question. There you are. Did I? Was that good? Okay. Um, personally... I like to make sure that I know where everything I buy comes from, to my soap, to my chickpeas. And so if you can know where your medicines are coming from, that can be helpful. Because for a long time, I think now it's cool. Cannabis is recreationally legal in a lot of spots, but um, especially on the East Coast, our cannabis might be coming from um, Central America where you're like funding like not good things by buying it. So keeping that in mind too. Yes. Legalize it. Time to recognize it. We'll say we've been burning up and turning what nobody wanna say. <laughs> Legalizing psychedelics. Rick Doblin, the founder of Maps, has this great talk. It's called "Envisioning a, a Post-Prohibition World," and he has this funny picture of um, a lakeside spot, this beautiful house, and then he photoshopped in MDMA therapy center. And so he envisions centers for people who are dying, and they can go bless, go and take psychedelics. Um, you're welcome. The goal of MAPS is eventually, once it's the same model that cannabis followed, once it's medically illegal, let's pursue recreational legal. Um, from a harm reduction standpoint, that means recognizing what people are doing and then seeking to provide them with information rather than prohibiting or telling them to practice abstinence from something. It's actually equipping them with the knowledge to navigate these situations in a safe way. From a harm reduction standpoint, 
legalizing psychedelics would be pretty good. There are concerns, like the commoditization. However, could be a lot safer. You wouldn't end up taking a microdose that turns into a museum or a macrodose when you're giving a pro, pro, uh, uh, talking at work. See, as you can see, I don't work in an office. What would it be? A board meeting? <laughs> Guys, I'm sorry, I'm tripping. <laughs> Other questions? I'll get you next. Yeah, go ahead. No. I can't, I don't know. Um, what? Uh, sure, tell us, give us the TLDR. Get on the mic. Yeah, I can. Get on the mic. We Here, cannot come sit. up. Get up and get on the mic. Do you like a microphone? <laughs> okay, just try it. Is that DMT? Yes. Oh. Hello. Uh, so MBOI is extracted from a orange bitter extract, and rather than MIY, it can be used with phenethylamines and tryptamines at the same time. Uh, you don't want to mix tryptamines and phenethylamines with it, but it can be used with either or. Uh, but it synergizes much better with phenethylamines than tryptamines. But again, it's much safer because you don't have to worry about dietary restrictions or anything like that. And you can buy it on Amazon. Wow. You can get everything on there. <clears throat> um, if you want to read some great literature of some of our uh, movement leaders, Pical and Tikal by the Shulgans. Alexander and Ann Shulgan wrote Phenylalamines I Have Known and Loved and then tryptamines I have known and loved. So they go into the discovery and the synthesis and et cetera of those molecules and also their awesome love story. I'm going to go to this person first and I'll get you after. Uh, person, yes. Philo of Health. I have heard of it, but I've never listened to it. It's a podcast. Miog? Oh, I know her. I do. She, yeah, yeah, it's it's in the works. Thank you. She knows a lot. She has a lot to offer. Yeah, cool. Thanks. Go ahead. Toads or animals? <laughs> yeah, uh, there's a fish, right? Isn't there a psychedelic fish? Yeah. There's reindeer. Well, collecting the reindeer's pee after it eats the Amanita muscaria is hardly cruel. It's actually awesome. Um, but do you guys know that? the um, <laughs> You just learned it? Who went to Paul Stamets today? Oh, we were all there. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to get back to that. The, the, the flying reindeer at Christmas. And what was the, the red... Um, the, re the red-nosed reindeer, maybe? Rudolph. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. I'm from this Christian country. I know, the capitalistic holidays. Um, <clears throat> but the... the in that region, oh, someone could tell this so much better than me. Look up psychedelic Santa Claus history, and you can learn about how these reindeer would eat the Amanita muscaria, the mushrooms with the red caps with the white spots, and then the reindeer would pee, and then because you're living up in 
this really cold place, you know, why not drink reindeer pee and see what happens when you drink it? <laughs> it's like, there's much worse things to do than that. So that is, people were having psychedelic experiences and the, the idea is that the flying reindeer myth came from people drinking, tripping off the, yeah. So combo um, is a, yeah, not necessarily a psychedelic, but um, that comes from animals and in the, the secretion of the toads, it does have to be collected. And some have said that, it, that they freak out the toads, you know, they're just like scaring them, so they're producing this venom. Um, and then as I mentioned, to, to clear-cut an area so you can grow lots of ayahuasca vines for your ayahuasca center, where you've gone into another country and bought land there with your money that you made you know, in a place where it's easier to make that kind of sum, and so you're taking away from the local people, you clear-cut an area, you're destroying like a whole ecosystem there. So that's that as well. More questions? Yes. Oh, the, um, the, the Canada one was the indigenous people with substance abuse history. Okay. Um, I definitely don't know it off the top of my head. <clears throat> Maybe there's a citation on it. Okay. Yeah, I didn't cite that one. Yeah, well, I'll try to get it for you. Other questions? Right in the back. Sure. The Surgeon General is the most high up voice in medicine. And our Surgeon General literally said, people who, good people don't smoke marijuana. So this is concerning because this research is permitted to go on and it's been shown to be effective. However, at any time, I think there could be a, propag a new propaganda campaign released. Remember the ecstasy monkey brains, they were all fried, they're their brains, this is the brain of monkeys that took MDMA. And it was actually methamphetamine that the monkeys had taken, not MDMA. But that set MDMA back for a long time because people thought that it would destroy their brain. And if you do take MDMA a lot, it's, it's going to do stuff that isn't going to be good. Um, Anne Shulgin says maximum four times a year. Um, so that's a concern, um, propaganda or just them stopping the studies and saying psychedelics aren't safe. Um, I personally, some people I work with and who are very important and doing great work were searched and detained and incarcerated for having substances on them in the state of New York recently. This happened to a number of people that I know this summer. So be careful to know the drug laws of the places where you are. And the, wor the words people were saying were that this many stop and frisks by police was was much more than was usual and it started this year so i don't know wow get right down to it won't you um you know it's a great question i could go on the qu the question is do i think that there's a backlash to this psychedelic renaissance going on Okay, have you ever heard of permission-giving thoughts? This is the thought you have when you go and you eat all the ice cream or when you go sleep with the person that you know it's not good for you. So the permission-giving thought is the one that's like, no, it's okay, you deserve it. Or like, I'm just expressing my sexuality. And it's like, actually, like you're doing something harmful, but you, per you permit yourself to do it. So I think that with the, the psychedelic renaissance, there is some risk to people 
going out to events and taking a lot of substances, not integrating their experience, and then thinking that they're going to work out their trauma, but they're not putting in the, the work in the consensus reality. So that can create a backlash. Integration, folks. Um, well, there are other things I can think of, too, but that's the, the one that comes to me right now. I think I might have saw one back there. No? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, this person is asking about supports in place for folks who have had uh, medicines or substances on them or were distributing them and were then in caught and incarcerated. Um, I don't think so. I know that usually when someone gets arrested, those who know them will do a GoFundMe, there will be court support, things like that. Um, I know that my community group is going to do some mobilization to do a decriminalization ballot measure in Massachusetts, um, and this has been catalyzed by that event of the people getting arrested. Um, there's just, there's very little support for people who are coming out of incarceration. And I think that's because of a wealth disparity thing that usually if someone's coming out of incarceration, there's massive debt and maybe they don't have the family support that it's just like, get you back on your feet. And, and then the, those who are still incarcerated are forgotten. Um, so I know of this program in Boston where people who are getting out of jail can become trainers and it's just like, yeah, that's really cool. Um, yeah, I don't know of another one. One more question? One more killer question? Okay, so no, no question? Let's do it. Oh, okay, one question, and then let's do an ohm, because just love being in control of a big group. This year? Okay. Someone passed away at Lightning in a Bottle. That I didn't realize it was at Lightning in a Bottle this year, and the coroner said it was LSD over toxicity, um, which it's really, really stupid hard and expensive to overdose on LSD. It's really hard. You can overdose on Tylenol, caffeine, um, nicotine, uh, heroin, extremely easily. Uh, but LSD, it's like 1,000 times a normal dose is potentially lethal, and that's to like 50% of subjects. So... That's some, that's, you know, negative, um, propaganda for what, what didn't they say that what the person had was that other thing? Mm -hmm. A research chemical. Yeah. The research chemicals. That's tricky. Yeah. Or N-bomb or something. Ah. Uh. My favorite psychedelic. I don't know. Um, there are the right set and settings for things. Um, I like LSD. I like them all. Mushrooms are usually really hard for me. I gotta be real. I'm like one of the few people I've met that mushrooms will just like They'll show me what's up. So let's do a C of ohms, three ohms. So what that means is we're going to all inhale together in a minute. You can inhale now if you want, but we're going to inhale. And then we're going to start ohming. And, and then as soon as you finish your ohm, then you start a second one. And when you finish that, you start a third one. And it's going to be a whole round. And then with that, I'll move over to the, I'll move over to the side. And if you have any more questions, you can ask me. And thank you. Thank you so much.
Thank you, Leah. That was beautiful. Leah Friedman. I'll write it up here. The psychedologist. Thanks for listening to my Oregon Eclipse talk on a new psychedelic renaissance. If you are interested in attending an eclipse gathering, you're going to want to mark Patagonia 2020 in southern Chile as the next total solar eclipse. So I hope to see you there. And until then, stay conscious.